I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Today on First Lady and Friends, we had a very important conversation about the situation in Ukraine with Irina Pierpont, who is Ukrainian. She grew up there um, and she became a refugee uh, and came to the United States several years ago. Her story is very poignant and, and really an important conversation to have. We also had Owen Fuller who is really connected in to that region of the country and has been very passionate about uh, his his opinions about what's happening there and and what we're doing here in Utah to to help alleviate the situation as much as we possibly can. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's get proximate. We are back here on First Lady and Friends, and this is a really important episode today. Um, we have today Irina Pierpont. She is uh, the wife of John Pierpont, the chief of staff to the governor. She also happens to be Ukrainian. She was born and, and raised in Ukraine, and she she has an incredible story to tell, and, and we're so privileged to have you on here today, Irina. Thank you. We also have today um, Owen Fuller, uh, you know, friend of the program. He's He's been here a number of times. Um, we were on a podcast before together, Cox and Friends, and he's, he's back. Uh, Owen, tell us why you're here. Yeah, so this issue is very near and dear to my heart, too. I know it is for so many people. I spent a lot of time in the former Soviet bloc and have a lot of dear friends there. And so this is, you know, tragedy in Ukraine has been playing out. I've been uh, doing everything I can to help, again, like so many others. And happy to be here today to talk more about what's happening in Utah, the incredible response that the state has had to show their support of the people who are suffering, and uh, to talk a little bit more about maybe what's ahead and what we can do in the weeks and months uh, going forward. Well, thank you both for being here today. Um, I think this is a really important conversation and it's a conversation that I think we've, we've been having with each other and it's, um, I, I said in a, in a Twitter, uh, post the other, the other day that we've, I think a lot of us feel really helpless. And, um, I think to get a real understanding from somebody who, who grew up there, who, who understands, uh, the situation there a little bit better. Let, Irina, tell us just let's just talk about your childhood. Tell us about where you were born, um, your parents, and, and just kind of how mm-hmm. things got started there for you. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just tell you first. I uh, was listening your podcast with Rebecca Ford. My gosh, she was so funny. Was I was she? laughing and laughing. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, I'm not going to be that funny. <laughs> I don't know if it would be boring. To listen to the story of just Russian-speaking girl grew up in the Ukraine, but I hope um, people who don't know much about Ukraine and people who grew up in another country ended up in Utah in the United States, they will understand a little bit more. They will have a little bit better understanding of what we experienced and what we went through and why. So, yeah, I grew up in the Ukraine in Donetsk. Um, I was born there and was born in multicultural family. My mother was a Greek mm. from um, the part of the Azov Sea. Um, and my dad was um, Russian. He came to Donetsk for work as a young man and stayed there. Uh, so I met my mom. And I actually had a great childhood uh, with very caring family, loving family, with grandmothers, with grandfather, um, my uh, dad's father um, died during the Second World War II, but my mom's dad was alive, and he was just grandpa. And, and, and were they there too then in in Ukraine with yes, you? Yes, yeah. yes. 
Yes, we had the f- big family cousins. Yeah. Um, my mom had a brother. Um, so I have cousins in Moscow right now and their families. And I am in contact, weekly contact with my cousin and my nieces checking on my niece and my nephew and their kids now. So, um, yeah, the childhood was just, you know, like every child I was happy growing up in the um, loving family. My grandmother had a house in a small town, which started with five houses back then. Hmm. And, of course, when I was um, growing up, it was a larger town. But she taught me um, hard work mm-hmm. all summer, <laughs> school summer breaks. I was in the field helping her, mm-hmm. uh, planting vegetables, watering vegetables. Uh, harvesting vegetables, hardworking grandma. And my dad was um, did not have an education. My mom was a nurse, but my dad didn't have an education. But he, he kept um, studying a lot about uh, the field he was working. He was servicing equipment that was used in um, mines. <laughs> and in his factory, he was the only one who knew how to use that machine very detailed uh, work. Uh, so I was I was really proud of my family and my parents. And um, I know not every child had a childhood like me, but uh, I I have just good memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, didn't see anything wrong coming, and didn't see any changes in my plans. Um, up until probably high school, I made a friend, and I did not really understand back then she was Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of stories from her grandmother and her mother who survived um, World War II um, Germans' attack on Kiev. So um, then you kind of just start understanding a little bit, you're maturing and kind mm-hmm. of, okay. Um, now I'm happy Russian-Ukrainian girl, but she's Jewish and she has that little dark background from her family and she's very careful in choosing friends. Um, so we were friends and we're still friends. She's in Canada right now. Um, I graduated medical school. It's a surprise to some hmm. because here in Utah, I ended up in the Department of Workforce Services, but I graduated medical school, had lots of friends who are doctors, pediatricians. My cousin is pediatrician and my friends, um, a couple of my friends ended up here in Utah and they moved out of state because they got jobs in other states, but they're from the same medical school. So kind of I brought a little history with me. Um, here with my friends, but yeah, um, that's my childhood. Yeah. So what? So what made you decide to come to to the United okay. States? Yeah. Um, I just want to give you a couple of seconds of the background of Donbass area. It's mm-hmm. very multicultural because of the industry, a uh, coal industry, metallurgic. Um, industry people were coming from all 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 over Soviet Union from different republics Armenians Georgians um, Moldavians um, so people were there for work and we never experienced anything uh, looking at individual and saying oh he's from Armenia yeah you probably can hear the name Armenian name but it didn't really mean anything they were neighbors they were friends they were classmates um, in school and medical school and kids were playing together outside. Um, I My ex-husband is Jewish and this is kind of made a um, big turn in my life. When I, when I married um, him and we had kids, back in 1980s, we started feeling that there was a lot of... Um, did not really see hate, but there was not 
very friendly atmosphere about Jewish people, at least in Donetsk. I know that in other cities like Kharkov, um, they, there was a large Jewish community. Um, we didn't really have a synagogue. So everybody was just equal. But yeah, we started experiencing some, um, saw some signs against um, Jewish families, Jewish people, and even my family. Um, when my son, older son, went to school, um, teachers were um, just kind of letting him know that he is not very welcome, that he's Jewish. And I remember he was in first grade. He came home and he said, Mom, I have a serious question to ask you. And I'm just like, okay, what are we talking about, puberty or? (laughs) Could be anything. Could be anything. (laughs) What? He said, tell me the truth. Am I Ukrainian or Jewish? Mm. Mm. I I did not know what to say. So wow. that was, um, and it it was really. It we can talk about it for so long that you can see the Jewish name means you cannot get this job. You may not be able to accept it to apply for school, uh, undergraduate school because you're Jewish. My um, friend who I made in high school, she wanted to go to medical school. Her mom was a dentist, but she knew she doesn't have a good chance to go, and she didn't want to lose her the years and t- time to apply. So she went into technical school instead. Um, yeah, so in 1989, uh, when... Um, the doors were open for Soviet Jews to leave the Soviet Union. Um, we kind of went and applied for, um, we used this opportunity to see if we can get out. Um, our door was, had the graffitis, neighbors were not friendly, stopped talking to us. Mm-hmm. It was it was a little bit scary time, but I knew that if we will get out, We'll start a new life here. Mm-hmm. So, and this, this is what happened. And I left the Ukraine in 1990 and I've never been back. Wow. So you haven't been back to see family? I haven't been back. Mm-mm. I went um, to Russia in 2013. I visited my cousin and uh, their families, cousins and their kids. But it was kind of touching the water to mm. see if I can bring my non-Russian speaking family and show them Russia and Ukraine. And in 2014, the war broke up in the Donbass area region. Yeah. So ever since I'm just like, okay, there's no way I can go back. Even if I would, I cannot show my family. This was my school yeah. or this are the streets I walked. Um, what I see on the news and hear on the list, listen and read and hear, I don't think there's much city left. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're seeing. So how are your family members doing now? Um, my um, sister's here in Soviet, uh, in United States, she's in Florida, but I have aunt and two cousins in Donetsk. We reach out to them. Once in a while, my sister talked to them a couple, a few days ago. Um, I don't think they can say a lot besides that they're just okay, mm. that they're safe. Um, I was just going to tell you that when I was a child, the memories from childhood were spending time in the Black Sea mm-hmm. every summer. Yeah. It was very, it, it was just a Russian culture. You take the month off and go on the Black Sea, take the kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. take the kids on vacation. And um, one of my aunts, she is from Mariupol. Mm. And we used to go there. We used to go to Odessa. My uh, grandpa's brother was in Odessa. And we have pictures from family um, vacation in Odessa. And when I grew up, I uh, had my own family. I took my kids every summer to Black Sea, Crimea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are great, great memories, have pictures. Yeah, they're, 
Only memories left. Well, and I guess I don't think people fully understand the relationship between. I think because what we're seeing, it it feels like Russia and Ukraine are very adversarial, but it's not the people, Russian people and Ukrainian people are not enemies. No, we we speak the same language. Besides that Ukraine, there is Ukrainian language, but being here in, in Utah, in United States, everybody who speaks Russian language, they're Russians. We never say, oh, they're Ukrainians, they're Armenians, they're Russians, they're former Soviet people. We, I, I have so many friends, and I, of course, I know what country they, uh, what uh, republic they came from. Now they're countries, um, but it never, it was never ever. I, I would, in my wildest dreams, I would never think that my country would go into war. And bro- brother will go against the brother. Yeah. And this is what's happening right now. People start talking to their relatives because they have their different opinions on, I don't know what. We yeah. speak the same language. We live the same life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really, I'm, I'm just absolutely devastated on what's going on. And I can't understand how, how can they be in the same city and going through battles on different sides. Yeah. Are there, I mean, I think the misinformation that we saw here in our political system is equally, if not more so there. I mean, there, we are seeing a lot of different people getting different information. And so they, are they, are we seeing like people choosing sides and, and well, based I'm, on what they're listening to and who they're I, listening I'm to? I'm sure there is um, a lot of probably propaganda going on on different stations, Russian stations, Ukrainian. I, I cannot speak for that, but I know uh, people have different opinions. I know every person I talk to they are not for war. Yeah. Everybody agrees that it could have been um, two countries could go into an agreement without war and without loss of lives. But at the same time, people have a different opinions on whose side to keep. And yeah. um, I honestly don't have an opinion. I don't want war. I don't want Russian speaking, Ukrainian speaking people to die and suffer and be in refugees in whatever country they will end up. I know what that means to be refugee. And I don't wish to on anyone to experience it. Not knowing the language, not knowing the environment, not knowing what's gonna what tomorrow's gonna bring and just leave today. Um when I left my city, all my dreams and all my plans were just crashed in in a matter of days. And who are you without your dreams? You don't know where to start. And you have to find the meaning of your life. And when you are in a place you don't know, it's unfamiliar place in the language and you don't have a place to put your belongings and sleep. There's the meaning of your life is just gone. Wow, wow, that is really powerful. Um, we want to continue this conversation and and what Utah's doing um, about this crisis, and we'll do that when we come right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. We are back here with um, Irina Pierpont and Owen Fuller. We are talking about Ukraine. Um, we just so thankful, Irina, for you for sharing your stories. I know these are very personal, so I really appreciate that. I think it gives people a sense of of really how people are feeling in Russia and Ukraine at this time, and I, I think it feels a little like. A civil war, really, brother against brother, and these are very familiar places and people and language that that um, that are fighting against each other, and it's it's really really disheartening and really terrible, and and um, and a lot of us have felt helpless here. So, Owen, let's let's talk a little bit about what we are doing here in Utah. Um, talk a little bit about maybe the rally that we had, and then and then going forward, what what we're doing to try to help as much as we can there on the ground in Ukraine. Yeah, sounds good. Happy to. And maybe I'll share just a little context again on, on how I um, have been connected to this part of the world. And, and I do have really strong opinions on it. So I'll, I'll share those and, and recognize that there may be, um, you know, blind spots that I have. Um, all I can share is what I've observed and seen and what I think about it. But uh, I came to that, you know, feel so connected to that part of the world because I served an LDS mission uh, in the Czech Republic, which included Slovakia. So if you're not really familiar with the geography, right, and people are getting more familiar with it now, of course, but you've got you know, Russia, which is borders Ukraine, and, and then right along the border of Ukraine, you have countries like Poland, Slovakia, Romania, Moldova. And um, so you know, part of the mission that I served in did border um, Ukraine. And we had a lot of uh, Ukrainian people that I got to know there and some, some people that I really – um, love and admire um, were there in the country. And then uh, I, I, after um, that period of time, I went back a, a number of times um, serving in uh, like nonprofit companies and in some capacity. And I actually helped run a company over in that part of the world. And so I've been back time and time again. My um, friends tease me. They say that I actually have never come home from there. <laughs> and part of it is true. That, I mean, I feel so connected to it. And, and um, you know, uh, being able to speak the language, so Czech, which is, um, you know, Slavic language, just, this is the case with Russian and Ukrainian and Polish, Polish and Slovakian. So I was, I've been able to talk with a lot of people who've experienced these uh, different parts of this history uh, in person. And it's, I don't think, really familiar for folks in the U.S. that the last time uh, an order was made from the Kremlin to invade a country was when um, Czechoslovakia was invaded in 1968. It was a history of what's called Prague Spring, where the leader at the time in Prague said, we are going to show uh, what it looks like to have socialism with a human face, is what he said. And they were going to loosen up a lot of the requirements. They were still going to be in that basic sphere but that was threatening to uh, the leadership of the Soviet Union. And so overnight, tanks and the soldiers showed up. And uh, they showed up throughout the country, and there was some skirmishes, and some people died. And these were uh, tanks and soldiers from all over what was called the Warsaw Pact, so other countries as well. And I had a lot of friends, uh, and I, I have a lot of friends, who vividly remember that time. And they remember how incredibly intimidating it was, the way it chilled any talks of, like, freedom and ideas and, you know, an opportunity to change. And those soldiers didn't leave in, in full until 1991. Mm -hmm. um, and so there were very, very hard feelings amongst my friends and great fear that something like that could happen again. And so I felt so connected to that part of the world for so long, talking to people that had some of these fears and then seeing what was happening with Putin in, in control of Russia now for roughly 20 years. Um, where he's had an expansionist uh, mindset. He's spoken openly about wanting to restore greater Russia. And so there's been things that have happened, for example, in Georgia. There was a Georgian war that, like, does it barely even hit the radar Nobody for people here? About. I know. Where there, yeah. there was a group that was looking to separate out, but they were supported by, 
you know, uh, the Russian military and then the Russian military actually came in and there was a, a hot conflict there. Um, and then what happened in eastern Ukraine and then what happened with Crimea, which was basically like, hey, we're taking that back under the Soviet Union. You know, uh, the leader of the Communist Party who was leading it said, oh, well, that's part of Ukraine. And then Russia just said, no, it's not. And and what I felt like very bluntly is that Putin has been running the Hitler playbook actually for years, but our international system has kept him more hemmed in. And he got to a point here where he really um, felt like he could act with impunity and and um, get away with something that I think is just absolutely horrific. So I, I am um, very much um, against everything that Putin has been doing. I think, and that includes the what I believe is an increasingly totalitarian sort of leadership of Russia, which is uh, brutal from uh, freedom of press, freedom of movement, um, freedom of speech. Uh, there's incredible repression happening there, in my view. Um, you know, the, the other things that have happened, like opposition leaders being killed, being poisoned, being jailed, um, journalists um, being killed. You look at what he did in Chechnya, just basically leveled places in Grozny. You look at the war crimes in Syria and, and specifically what he did in Aleppo. I mean, this is a very sick, demented person, in my view, who is wreaking havoc on people's lives. And uh, I know that there's a lot of debate about, well, um, were there things that could be done differently from a negotiating standpoint? Uh, I, I would say nothing justifies what uh, has happened. And that, that's my view, and I feel very strongly about it. But following this that along the way, I've been you know, fearing that something like this could happen. It's like fear in your bones that I, that I saw my friends live with, that they would say it could happen. Like the world thinks this couldn't happen, but I'm telling you it can happen. We've seen it happen here. We didn't think it could happen here either, and this can happen. And now for that to be playing out in these you know, horrific bombings is, is so brutal. So that's how I came connected to that, following it uh, closely for, for many years. And there's a number of people in Utah who have who are been doing that too. Now it's this uh, situation in Ukraine has really um, you know, deteriorated to be such a – uh, human catastrophe. Well, people are stepping up to help, and that's what's so encouraging. Is you know, in these e- extreme times, we see some of the worst of humanity and the best of humanity. So, what's happened here in Utah? Well, there's a, a Utah Ukrainian um, kind of so- association. I want to be clear that there's a lot of people supporting there too. It's not just Ukrainians. And to the point Irina was making, I mean, it's it's uh, a lot of. Uh, Russian speakers and people from other countries and all kinds of people who are just saying, let's help the people. We don't want the people on the ground to be um, suffering. And so uh, there's been a number of rallies, of get-togethers, of fundraisers, and all kinds of people that have different connections to to um, folks over there have been doing that. And it's all been truly heartwarming. So one thing we did was a rally at the Capitol. Yeah. And yep. I was so glad to see what ultimately ended up being about 2,000 people there. Um, for the second time in the state's history, we were able to light up the Capitol. The only time that that happened was with the Olympics. So the Capitol was lit up in the yellow and blue of Ukraine. This was um, the the U at the U and at UVU and at Utah State and at um, you know a number of places across the state, businesses and, and state-run um, organizations, we were, we were showing our support, and and there was actually a unanimous resolution passed by the House and Senate in Utah, showing Utah support. The governor, the lieutenant governor, the president of the Senate, uh, the mayor of Salt Lake, the speaker of the House, they all spoke at that rally, and people, I think, uh, had a chance to feel unified in supporting the people of Ukraine. And then the goal was there is as we come together to find concrete ways to help. And that's what I've been so impressed then with companies like uh, the Larry H. Miller Company and many others and um, your foundation, you know, which I, I'm fortunate to, to be a part of with you, Abby, is, is now how, how do we take this desire to help and turn it into something meaningful? So what's happening? Well, there's been donations uh, that have been raised. There's been a whole bunch of um, uh, people in the community who stepped up who said we'll match any donations that come from other parts of the community. So uh, I don't know if you want to announce any of the numbers of what's been raised, but it's significant. Yeah, we'll we'll wait because we're, I think it's <laughs> yep. still it's still ongoing. <laughs> I think it's ongoing, but yeah, when we have our final tallies, yeah. we we will. I will say that we have uh, 
over 500 people, like 570 plus people at this point uh, who have signed up to volunteer. Um, from my end, that's what we're going to be organizing the the volunteers, and we're going to go through the warehouse that we're we're starting to. I was down at the warehouse today. We have donations coming in. It is unbelievable, um, amazing the Just way the people of Utah are responding. So. Blown away, and so we're going to go through with volunteers and start to organize some of that stuff. That's right. So um, you know, there's the donations of cash on the one hand, which is just very helpful because there's such a need now with over three million refugees that are outside of the country of Ukraine, and many, many more. The last estimate I saw, and I'm sure it's even higher now, is 12 million people that are displaced within the country. Yeah. So think about those staggering numbers of human lives, and what Irina was talking about, like. Not not knowing where you're going to rest your head, not knowing where you're going to get your next meal, and really relying on a, a global community to put your arms around those people. Yeah. And so we, I'm so proud that Utah is stepping up in that way. So there's the, there's the cash donations, but there's also all the goods that were donated. That that portion of the drive with this group has actually ended, but with a huge amount, an overwhelming response. And I, I know um, we're still tallying the total numbers there, but it's. Uh, an, an incredible story to be told for how people are responding. Now, of course, logistics groups are stepping up whether to, to get those things from here to folks on the ground in these um, bordering countries to Ukraine. And so I know that there will be more to do. I, I know people who want to help, um, you know, probably are looking for outlets. And I would really suggest you look up the um, Larry H. Miller uh Site, yeah, and it's it's backslash uh, driven to assist. I That's think, right. and we'll we'll look that up. We'll we'll put that at the on the outro, but we'll we'll make sure that you have that information. I think right now um, the the main thing would be uh, monetary donations are probably the biggest biggest thing that we can do at this point. Yep, and and I just have it right here. I wanted to make sure I said it just right, but it's lhm.com backslash driven dash to dash assist. But if you just look up Larry H. Miller driven to assist, you'll see the place where you can go in and, you know, this this will get the cash to people who will uh, be in, in need and uh, we can really help them. And so, you know, it's it's amazing to see a whole community rally for people that are so far away. And I'll tell you, there's there's reasons for that, though, too. And that is, one, because the people here are really good hearted. Two, I think they're inspired by the incredible courage being shown by Ukrainians in the mm-hmm. face of this onslaught. Yeah. Um, I, they are really, I think, rekindling some feelings that I, I hope so many of us have inside of us. And clearly, if you look at like these rallies all around the world that are happening in streets completely full to the brim of including thousands and Russia. tens of thousands of people, including <laughs> in Russia, people are stepping up to say, no, you know, we believe in uh, the dignity of human life. We believe in human rights. We believe in the, the um, ability of uh, people to choose how they're going to live and, and, and for countries to have their own sovereignty and um, to stand against this these, these horrible attacks that are happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And um, I I'm just I'm blown away again by by the generosity and we shouldn't we shouldn't be because <laughs> yeah. it keeps happening. Anytime right. we ask Utahns to step up. It's it's above and beyond we our wildest yeah, imaginations about what they've done. So we want to continue this conversation when we come right back. We're back here with Irina Pierpont and Owen Fuller. We're talking about Ukraine and Russia and things that are going on there. Irina is Ukrainian and um, left many years ago. Um, let's let's just talk about how you think. Um, you have many family and friends. How do you think that we can be um, the best supports for them? Um, yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, besides the donations and be a volunteer, what what else can we do um, for refugees? And let's talk about refugees from yes. any country, regardless of the nationality or their origin. Um, if as you know, I worked at DWS in the Refugee Services Office, and I dedicated 29 and a half years of working with refugees. And I've seen my first uh, group of refugees was from Bosnia and then Afghanistan and Iraq. So uh, later, I in late years, I worked with refugees from Congo, Rwanda, 
And you can see in any group of refugees, they did not want to be refugee. They did not want to leave their country. They did not want their dreams to be crushed, leave their family behind, their career, um, their friends, the smell of the city. Um, they, they did not have a choice. So once they're here, we're trying to um, show the support. And what matters is um, to be a friend and show the emotional support. Not much that I feel for you, but just let them know that we understand, even though we did not experience war, we understand what you may go through. Tell us how we can help. Um, be a friend, give them advice, maybe take them some places. They don't know how to get there. Um, Tell about traditions in the United States. I had a dear, I have a dear friends from my work who really introduced me to some traditions I didn't know. Um, but my first tradition, I really, um, uh, in United States, <laughs> I took and I will never uh, leave it. Is Christmas, celebrating Christmas, <laughs> decorating the house, the Christmas tree, hosting people. Um, so I think just just let them know that even though they left their country, we have a different traditions um, if they would like to learn them and maybe understand their traditions, what they're going through. Um, once it's a refugee, it's always a refugee. Yeah. Hmm. The trauma follows you. Um I I have dreams I I work in dental office because I have five years of schooling, eight years of experience. Once a dentist is always a dentist. My family dentist tells me every time he sees me. <laughs> <laughs> but once is a refugee is always a refugee. There is a trauma. Um and we we have to be very careful and caring, understanding that they carry a trauma. Um you're looking at me, I'm successful woman, have a great career, um, have a beautiful family, um, great husband who serves our community and people of Utah, but I still have a trauma. Mm. If you ask me about my city, about my history, about my childhood, I'm swallowing my tears. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we have to be very very passionate um, with refugees and patient. Mm. Um, working with refugees, um, many people are saying, well, now they're in the United States, they have to get used to our traditions and get get up in the morning, go to work, everything is fine. Um, they have a place to stay. They, they need a place to recover. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. That's so well said. A few thoughts come to mind is, um, one, the trauma that people are experiencing from this is so much greater than really can be captured in any of the news stories that we're talking about right now, where there's a focus on, of course, on casualties and on the destruction of cities and that kind of thing. But the trauma, like Irina is talking about, is going to be with us for a very long time with, I mean, with those people that are suffering and we have to be there for them. So that's, that's one thought just to be aware of. And I, I know that adds to the heartbreak too, is as I've been so connected to this issue and if people, anyone were to follow me on Twitter, they'd, they'd see, which normally I like to talk about business stuff. I, I, I love the software company that I run and those kinds of things, but it's pretty much nonstop Ukrainian things all the time right now. And some people have reached out and said, well, you know, I know this is terrible, but <clears throat> there's always been terrible things going on in the world. Kind of, a, and I would, I would argue a little bit of a cynical sort of like, I, you know, viewpoint, which is like, well, how come you're caring so much about this when there are terrible things going on in Syria and other places? I would say one, um, you know, people have their own connections to these things. There's, there's, there's elements of this event that are unique to it. But two, I hope that we can use this um, kind of awakening that's happening of seeing this to then not um, 
so much look backwards with blame, but look forward to how we can then lift more people up. I've seen just amazing things happening in our community. A friend of mine got connected with a, a person who'd come from Afghanistan. He was working with our military there. He barely got out of there with his beautiful wife and two little girls. The community has rallied around him. They've helped them get their driver's license and a place to stay. And he put on a little text. He put a note on a text thread. And in a couple minutes, very quietly, with nobody looking around, a bunch of Utahns, just from one text thread, donated $6,000 and bought him a car. Oh, you know, and, yeah. and so people mm-hmm. are doing these things. And, and I would just make room and space for people who are, one, experiencing a lot of, you know, heartache around what's happening in Ukraine to then, you know, give give room for that. And also to not kind of diminish that by saying, well, why don't we why didn't we do more earlier? But then to just keep looking for what more we can do for everyone who's suffering. Let, let's kind of all come together in, in this moment. And, and I, I agree. Certainly, we, there's there's a ton of refugees from Syria that need our our help and from many other um, war-torn and, uh, you know, embattled places. Um, and then just another thought would be, um, you know, we, we do have a number of Ukrainian people right here in Utah that we, we really need to lift up. There's about 1,500 is our best estimate um, of Ukrainians that are that live here and, and others who have so much family and, and friends suffering there. And so, you know, what Irina was saying is I think we do need to reach out to those people and just stay close. Like, you know, it's very hard, I think, to expect, like, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine running a great tech company in Utah has a team member who is actually in Ukraine, and that team member's house was completely exploded, mm-hmm. you know, and th- this is someone that they're Zooming with every day, and there is trauma all around that, of course, primarily for the person. So the company stepped up in a big way, again, so quietly, wrote a big check, um, just got that family, said, what do we need to do to get you in a better place? And, you know, for that whole employee base then to rally around that person. But that employee base is also filling a lot of things, you know. So I I think we need to um, be aware of the people in our own community who are are feeling very heavy with this and be there for them as kind friends and listening ears and to really do do what they need to, to help them recover. Yeah, and I would also say that um, our Russian friends here in our community are feeling a lot of these same that's right feelings and and anxiety. Yeah, and and if we if we're I mean they're uh, you know financially and like their their economy is completely tanked now and you know because of the, the decisions of 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 their leaders and no fault of their own and and they're feeling that too and i think we have to be careful and i remember when uh george bush after 911 really pleaded for people to not um assume that uh just because somebody was afghani or or a muslim you know you you can't just automatically mm-hmm. Uh, blame people in our communities that are that are Utahns that are here in Utah that are here in the United States because they're Russian doesn't mean they are responsible for the decisions of these of this leader and so I, I think we need to be careful to to not um, in our in our anger and and maybe our frustration over the situation there to make sure that we're still loving and compassionate for all people that are suffering. Well, I think that's that's exactly right. It's really important. And I appreciated so much at our rally that Governor Cox spoke to that very directly. He said, you know, we don't blame you. We love you. And that message needs to go out far and wide. I, I understand how painful it can be for some folks who are then, like I have friends, for example, who are Ukrainian, uh, who have family in Russia, and they're talking to their family and their family is not believing them about what's happening because that information is not getting through to them. And it's a very, very difficult thing. And in fact, they're getting a lot of resistance. So, so I guess what I would say is um, a few things. One, um, the first victims of totalitarian regimes are the people in, inside those systems. They are, they are, they have all kinds of issues that come from that that are complicated about what information they can get access to, what they can say. Imagine the pressure that people are under right now with the huge number of arrests that are happening for pro- anybody that protests and all this kinds of thing. And, and so, you know, I, where that gets complicated, I guess, is my point is uh, there 
I can see there being very strong feelings. If, if you are someone who is upset about what's happening and you're talking to somebody who you may love or care about who does not recognize the tragedy there, that can be infuriating. And, and it takes an extra level of compassion to to approach you know, each person with human dignity and, and kind of, you know, there's a song that Sting sings, which says, you know, Russians love their children, too. Mm-hmm. And and I think remember that that shared humanity, because really what we need is like an international coalition, not just of nations, but of like people who are freedom loving people who respect the dignity and humanity of their, their fellow brothers and sisters and want them to be safe and well and to be able to have a place to rest their head and a place to raise their children in peace. And so if we can build from those shared values, we can, like you said, not assume the worst, and we can try to bring people along. I think that's that's very important. And there probably will be people that fall on a whole spectrum of um, very, like, very upset about what's happening, to some who may feel indifferent about it, to some who may you know have their own views because of what they've heard. But let's us be compassionate to not demonize or dehumanize the people we're talking to, to, to build on that shared humanity and start from that place. Um, you know, but, uh, I would say when people uh, like Putin show an utter regard for that, I think it's okay to say he can go, um, (laughs) take a hike. You know what I mean? So there's this this interesting thing of like, how do you balance, Humanity, like, you know, just let's use a historical example so it's not so current, but like in World War II, um, there, there, were, there were very widespread negative stereotypes about an entire group of people. And, and let's, let's try to avoid that. And yet you can realize one click under that gets complicated if you feel like you are supporting this war effort that is leading to the death of my kid. Well, that is very intense too. Yeah. You know, yep. so, so there's, there's just a lot of, heavy, heavy things going on right now in the, in our communities. How, how would you suggest people kind of navigate that, Irina? I mean, it's, it's such a tough thing. It's, yeah, and it's, it's very, um, it's very tough, like you were saying. I've seen, uh, working with refugees, I've seen refugees coming from the same region, but from the different tribes. Yeah. Um, they are not friends. They don't look at each other. They leave the office when another person is there. Uh, we try to educate and um, talk to them that it's not your fault. It's not their fault. We're humans. Let's let's be in, just yeah. act as humans and intelli- being intelligent. But it's it's really hard. I think the governor had a great message during the rally last week that it's not um, Russian speaking or Russian um, people's fault they are not responsible for russian leaders actions and i i think we just keep keep going with the same message keep yeah. spreading it and i know utans are i i love utah it's my home utans are different and i know that uh, this message will um, reach everybody's house and hearts and i've seen all these letters from school yeah. kids <laughs> yeah i've seen her writing. talk about that yeah i um and and i just you know before we before we end i do want to say and we'll put pictures out on my social media and our first lady and friend social media but um just before i we came over here to to record record this podcast I, our security at the mansion can't hardly keep up. They're running from one gate to another because we are having people dropping off letters. We put out a, a note, we put out a little letter out on social media and said, we would love for the children of Utah to write letters or draw pictures for the children of Ukraine and the children that are, that are being, um, you know, traumatized by these terrible events. And again, we shouldn't be surprised, but the, the response was completely overwhelming and we have just been inundated with these beautiful notes and letters. And, and I left Linda at the mansion sorting and she's <laughs> putting things together and we're taking pictures of, of the, just the amazing uh, notes that have come in. And right before we came over here, uh, she showed me a letter um, that was actually written from a mom and um, it it was beautiful. It's it's exactly how I feel. Um, it's 
when I think of of moms trying to make really tough decisions, leaving their husbands at the border because they need to stay and fight, and these moms leaving the country not knowing if they'll see their husband again, and the responsibility that they have towards their children to keep their children safe, to keep them learning, to keep them um, to 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 minimize the trauma as much as they possibly can, and this. This mom captured it in this note, and it, it was just said, "If you know, to the children of Ukraine, if I could take you to Disneyland, I would. If I could take you on a hike, if I could take you on a walk, I would do that right now. I would do that right now, and I would take you away from this this really hard thing that you're doing." And you know, it was signed, "A Mother of America," and I I just think that it captured exactly what I've been feeling um, anytime. Things like this happen. My my mama heart just absolutely breaks because I think of moms. I think of children um, who will carry this trauma, like like you said, Irina, um, who will carry this trauma for the rest of their lives. This is not a this is not an easy answer, and and it just continues to to escalate and get worse. And and the children, the children are the ones that are going to pay for this. Um, and it, and it's just heartbreaking. So, um, I think as simple as a little note is, we, we hope it, it finds someone that, that needs that note in that moment and that it will lift them and know that we, they have an entire state here in the United States that, it, that are praying for them, that are worrying for them, that are, are empathetic or compassionate towards them. And I think, um, if we can do that, I feel like that's at least something, that's something we can do. Well, and, and uh, you know, we've talked about this, but it's going to be ongoing for a long time. Yep. And so uh, it's so critical for us to keep this commitment yep. to those people that are that have been so harmed that uh, let's hope that there's a time of peace, ceasefire in the not too distant future ahead. I don't I don't think anybody knows that how things will play out. But even when that comes. There's so much rebuilding to do. There's so much healing to do. There's so much recovery to happen. And, you know, we've, we've got to stay united and um, linked with our heart and theirs. Yep, I agree. Well, thank you to both of you. I know this has been kind of a sobering. It, it was not a Rebecca Ford podcast. <laughs> thank you for but the opportunity. Also a, an absolute honor that you would share your story, Irina. I know it's personal and I know... It's difficult because um, there are a lot of really tough emotions and, again, carrying that trauma with you. So we really appreciate you helping to, us to understand um, better. Um, we learn from each other. We learn from each other's stories. And, and, and I appreciate that. And, Owen, oh, I appreciate your passion um, for for our friends in Ukraine and, and throughout that region. And, and we're just grateful to both of you to, to have been here today. If you want to donate and help in Ukraine, uh, visit LarryHMiller.com, Driven to Assist. And you can also visit our website, showup.utah, to sign up to be a volunteer. Thanks for being a friend.